beloved listener. Welcome back to Witch Sweat. I'm your host, Melissa Word. This week, I am bravely, blissfully, abundantly alone on the mic. And I wanted to share, you know, we're getting into spooky season. We're getting into the season where everybody wants to put a freaking plastic skeleton on their porch for some godforsaken reason. If you are one of those homies, God bless and love and light, may it flow in your direction. Um, I am not one of those people. I find it so strange and like just why more plastic? Why more plastic? I also think there's a part of me that's like, but are you really down with the big D of death? (laughs) I did not know that's how I felt until perhaps this precise moment, but I really think there's something in me that's like, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. My people, my good people of Candler Park with your dangly skeletons everywhere and your headstones and your big woolly mammoth spiders dangling from the white picket fence. I'm calling BS. And partially that's because we live in a culture that you and I both know to the core of our beings. We live in a culture that is deathly, LOL, afraid of death. And so I just like, don't freaking get down with the commercialized, plasticized veneer of something that is so unbelievably sacred, is so unbelievably awe, A-W-E, awe, awe, awe-filled, and so transportive, transmutative, transmutation upon us in the death swirl. And so I want to get into that a little bit, like, take this as an opportunity to just uh yeah get get stuck in that sticky spider web for a moment um and I may actually tell a story I'm sort of debating on if I'm gonna tell the story or not like if it's too strange and overexposy to just toss it out into the brave void of podcast land um but I you know, death is just really, it, it always lives nearby on the altar for me. Um, there's such a, I have a beautiful episode with my pal Narendra Basin, death midwife and gorgeous soul. And I just think all the time about this thing that she said in that episode where she's like, my life is made so full and so robust because I have a peripheral eyeball locked on stage left where death is hanging out in the wings at all times. And the more that I invite death to the center of my life and away from the margins, the crusty, dusty, sad, scary, we shall not speak of such margins, more I invite death to the center, I'm like, yo boo, what's up? I set out a place for you at the table, by the way. 
calm, sit, be satiated, be nourished. The more that happens, the more it just puts everything into perspective. I'm deeply paraphrasing, but that was pretty much the gist of what she was saying. And I think about that all the time and fully um, agree, co-sign heartily to that. Um, And I, you know, I had the experience, I, uh uh-huh, yeah. Um, Yeah, so the way that I really come to my own creative work and curiosity and research around death is through the loss of my father when I was 20. And spooky family lore, real quick, hit you with this lore. Um, my, so I lost my father two months shy of my 21st birthday. My father's only sister, my aunt, lost her father, my grandfather, when she was 21. And then my grandmother, in this same lineage, lost her father, guess what, when she was 21. And so there's something about that story that just gives me the sense that like it was always coming for me in a way, like that I would have such an early uh, education and an early soul initiation into the wow I have this tapered candle lit next to the microphone and it is like (laughs) so much wax just spooged and exploded everywhere I look forward to cleaning that up later anyways there's something in that piece of Uh, family history that just it like buoys me and sturdies me and lets me know that um there was some kind of mystical game afoot so to speak and some co-conspiring in in the fabric and in the matrix of uh the the lessons that were destined for me and the, the path that was really uh, paved for me to walk. And so, you know, at that time, it was like two months before graduating from college. And I was studying as a, a dance major. And in my final semester of college, I had done this like huge thesis graduation project where I built out this... Um, in the dancerly audition world, like a, a what you would call a reel, was basically just all of this um, the greatest hits of my dancing, all of this these audition materials, and this like epic spreadsheet of dance companies that almost all were based in either New York or Europe, and the. You know, my bags were freaking packed. I was ready to kick the dust off this dinky little popsicle stand, get out of Dodge, and go live my best freaky contemporary dancer life in Europe. That was the vision. Um, And then my dad got sick, and so that didn't happen. I moved home to care for him 
in the last two months of his life. Um, he was very, very sick with pancreatic cancer. And so I had this exceptional freaking opportunity, opportunity of a lifetime to be with him and care for him, like quite physically, literally care for his failing and ailing body and see him in these absurdly vulnerable states, right? Like to see his naked, like just withering body, right? Like the way we're seeing plants, the plants of summer turn to wither in this first peeping of fall. Like I got to see that and I got to be there for that. And I got to bathe and care for all of that essentially while still feeling totally like a child. And that truly radicalized me in a way that, uh, you know, once I could move through the kind of the traumatic impact of that and the, the trauma of the loss and the death itself, and then to be like cast out into the gorgeous oceanic scape of grief for the last 12 years um i it's just one of my most favorite things it's truly one of my most favorite things and to be one who moves towards and not away from the excruciating and sublime gift of ushering the people we love across death's threshold. Um, I don't remember where I started that sentence. <laughs> um, but I, I, to me, it really feels like such a freaking antidote to this world that just feels like a shopping mall. And this world that feels like um, there's just an, everywhere you look, there is a saccharine veneer. There is a plastic veneer over the gritty, raw realness of what is really the fuck going on here. Uh, is my boo thing about to walk through the door? Hold, please. Okay, uh, yeah, so there's, there's something that's so, um, seductive and debilitating about this place, and by this place I really mean the dominant culture of the United States of America, that so prioritizes youth and health, really even, that we get lulled into this idea that we will just absolutely freaking live forever and everyone we know and love will live forever. And no, no one's like really thinking that specific thought, but there's, we're so coddled into not having to confront the inevitable reality 
of death, which loves us and guides us and is here for us. Like death as ally, pain as ally. And we're really missing out. We're leaving a lot of juice on the table when we let ourselves get caught up in this narrative that's like, it's like going into Whole Foods. I always think about like whenever, especially in my 20s, when I spent a lot of time traveling outside of the U.S., um, particularly, I remember it so acutely, the summer coming back, I had spent like maybe four or five months in backing, backing, backing it up, backpacking around Central America. I remember when I came home, I was so disturbed and like put off by hot water, air conditioning, and the experience of going to Whole Foods, right? Like we all got the little like trinkies and dinkies and supplements that we can only get at Whole Foods. And I remember just being like, my God, we are so coddled. Such titty babies. We're such freaking titty babies here. And also, I love to be seduced by everything just feeling so nice the second you walk through a Whole Foods. But it's very destabilizing to the spirit. It's very uh, disconcerting. And I think our indigenous self, our animal self, the, the part of our spirits that are still intact and still tethered to the earth and uh, the fabric of all things is so uh, bewildered <laughs> by how disconnected and how neutered we are from our place in the landscape of living and dying. And I tell you what, I could spend five minutes in a Whole Foods and I'm like, baby, I'm living for fucking ever. <laughs> there is so a part of my, my physicality or my ego or something that is just the part of me that is just like, uh, just like uh, lulled into the titty babiness of it all that wants to go back to sleep at the shopping mall. And that's just something for, I think, I think that's a strange thing that we in the Western world like have to contend with. We have to contend with that inner tension and that inner um, friction that enjoys being lulled back to sleep and also is like hungry to stay present with the little deaths that are happening around us all of the time. And that kind of awareness, that kind of literacy, that kind of sensitivity is like an inoculation strategy for when we are confronted with the big freaking blows of loss, the big D, death, that certainly will come for all of us. We will all certainly be confronted with 
being on hands and knees at the bottom of the well, face in the mud, face 10 layers deep beneath the mud, we will all be brought with so much love to that moment. And I really, I myself need to hear more people engaging with, curious about, and speaking openly about the kind of magic, the kind of mystery, the kind of awe that gets to be revealed when we are more available to sit with death, to sit with our own death, and to sit with the death of other people. Um, the story that I was wondering if I was going to tell you or not, it, it is erupting forth, so here we go. Um, a couple of months ago, I alluded to this in my newsletter where I talked about, uh, I just like sprinkled some casual drama allusions to the fact that when Gavin and I were driving in our, on our cross-country trip from Atlanta to LA this summer, uh, when we were in Marfa, we had the experience of being with a stranger, someone we did not know, being with them the moment that they died in a total bizarro, bonkers, freak moment freak accident maybe still a little tbd um with the long and the short of it goes a little something like this gavin and i were staying in marfa texas which for the uninitiated marfa texas is in the middle of absolute rural west texas and we were staying in this really dreamy, very cool uh, hotel experience. It's a bunch of like renovated boutique trailers all kind of cast out and spread out in this dusty desert piece of land. And um, there are a series of hot tubs, wood-fired hot tubs in this place. And um, there's three of them. You can rent them for the evening, which we did, of course, obviously. Delicious. And we were like, okay, let's get a bottle of wine. Let's bring the snacks. Let's make a whole night of it. We are just going to get pruny AF, look at the stars, be enjoying the hot bubbliciousness of this moment. And so we were really like planning to be there for the long haul of the evening. And we had been in the tub for about an hour. Um, no one else in this moment was out there. There's two other tubs that are maybe about 10 feet apart from each other. And the lovely magical groundskeeper comes by about an hour in and is like, yo, you want me to stoke your fire for you? You want a little more wood in that tub? And we're like, yeah, that'd be great. Thank you. Um, as you can perhaps imagine, the groundskeeper of a boutique trailer hotel in the middle of nowhere, West Texas, is a peculiar and interesting and fascinating person. We strike up a conversation and we're chatting 
and we chat for, um, you know, maybe 30, 40 minutes. And at some point, it's now the sun has fully set. It is quite dusky, getting dark. And the, uh, the, uh, the, the hotel manager, the front desk manager, ushers a woman out who is by herself to one of the tubs. And, um, oh, I'm just doing this thing as I'm telling you this story where I'm like, why am I telling this story? It's so intense. Oh man, but we shall forge ahead. Okay. Anyways, so I also just sidebar. I'm really aware of the experience my body is having as I tell you this story because I really don't want to share this tender, vulnerable experience like a, oh my God, you'll never freaking guess what happened. This is so crazy. Like shock and awe kind of story. Um, And just wanting to kind of throw gas on the fires of drama uh and you know maybe you can hear this in my voice maybe not but i'm really orienting myself in this moment and this is maybe just a pep talk for myself of like how to hold the the details of a death story a death experience with a lot of um reverence a lot of reverence and how might I be so lucky as to offer a transmission of reverence in the act of telling this story? So anyways, um, a woman is by herself. She gets into the tub and, you know, the really one of quite a few wild things about the story is that before she came out, uh, the the groundskeeper who we were speaking to is telling us the craziest stories about like Marfa urban legends and the Marfa lights, which is this phenomenon, this as of yet unexplained phenomenon that happens like nine miles outside of the city, um, out in the vast absolute nothingness desert that these light orbs will appear and like from the earth and they move and they dance and they jiggle and they interact with each other. These like floating dancing light orbs. Uh, It's super freaky deaky, fascinating. And he was like giving us the take on all the local, uh, the scoop on what the locals think is going on and what is responsible. Everything from like these ancient gods that live in the ground and this is, you know, a manifestation of them coming forward, you know, to aliens. Those are the two that I can remember in this moment. Um, Then we start talking about like Marfa ghost stories all of the things that like make your hair stand on end and get me supremely hype. I was so hype. I was like, no, uh, tell me another story. No way. 
right? Like my enthusiasm and excitement is going through the roof. And that is the the context of what's happening when this woman is ushered out into her own private hot tub approximately 10 feet away. And so I do this inner kind of check-in with myself of like, I wonder if this gal, I'm a not not kind, friendly person. I like to include people in moments of fun having. But I was like, we're also talking about some freak shit. And maybe she's like, I'm not here for your silly little ghost stories. Okay. So I kind of like kept trying to like sort of look over or like sense her vibe to see if she was going to be a person, you know what I'm talking about, when you're just like, are they the kind of person who energetically you feel like they want to be pulled in to the convo, they want to, you know, roll up or, um, or not. And I fully had this experience of like, don't even look over at her word tone it down just dial back the enthusiasm on the ground gods and the alien lights and respect other people's zen moment and just don't even look over at her like i had this energetic kind of like when two when magnets like repel each other it was that feeling of just like not only don't engage her just leave her alone Maybe 15 minutes goes by, and the next thing that happens is the groundskeeper who we've been chatting with, who's the only person of me, Gavin, and him, who's outside of the hot tub, looks over and says, oh, fuck, and sees that she is no longer above water, that she has fallen face forward into the hot tub. And he, the only reason he looked over is because he heard like a, a little splash and thought maybe her phone or her keys or something had fallen in the water and it was her. And so he rushes over to pull her out. She's totally unconscious. Um, and my beloved and this man, this brave man, take turns trying to resuscitate her I'm trying to feel for a pulse. Her eyes are totally dilated. Um, Yeah, I'll maybe spare some of the more physical details of that moment. Um, But, wow. uh, Contending with the feeling of like, nobody's coming like calling for you know calling 911 calling for support and emergency services and then really experiencing the gravity of nobody is coming because you're in the fucking middle of nowhere okay sidebar redacted for accuracy emergency services did come it just took a really long time right okay continue thank you for your services presidio county emt and all you've got is each other and all you've got is a wing and a prayer and your best guess at how you can meet this moment of crisis and meet this moment of who the fuck knows what is going on right now can't tell if this person has a pulse or if it's just my insane adrenaline drenched blood 
pulse like ricocheting off of her skin. Um, and you know, then, and so she, she never comes to, she never comes to, uh, she might've already been dead. She might've died on somewhere in the middle of not receiving proper emergency paramedic services. Um, but nevertheless, the reason I feel compelled to tell you this story, I think, I'm not fully sure actually, I'm just kind of rolling with it and waiting, <laughs> waiting to see what happens. Um, but you know, uh, Gavin was like, there was something that happened in me where there was this, you know, of course, total shock, total freak out, total just like clowns slipping on banana peels of the moment. And then there was also this deep sturdiness that I could feel in myself. And it was this like, frequency of reverence I wouldn't have named it as that in the moment certainly but I could just feel like when Gavin was like baby avert your eyes no don't look it's so intense of course he was trying to protect me from uh, the intensity and the rawness and the psychoticness of the moment um but I felt like I was like I I know this dance. I've seen what it looks like to see a a body splayed out with no life in them, which for most of us is again, most Americans coddled. We don't know what that looks like. And I think it really does something to, to our humanity when we don't know that experience when we don't see death in our own homes when you know the the death industrial complex has been outsourced to funeral homes and hospitals and it's just a much more clinical experience um but yeah there was this sturdiness within me and And then, you know, the thing that just felt really fascinating that I actually hadn't seen before and now feel grateful to have been initiated into this is that like, you know, because this was an unexplained death, you know, the justice of the peace had to come. The, uh, you know, the Texas Ranger has to do the interviews to really like get the eyewitness report of what has taken place you know, like a a miniature movie set has to be erected with these huge lights, camera, crew, to like document the the moment, to document her, her body, and like just being left for hours in the exact position that she was pulled out of the water. Like, the the precise splay, the precise choreography and posturing f- 
for hours, you guys, hours. And I'm like, that is so weird. It's so weird. And there was no one anchoring the the reverence that that moment required. Uh, let me be more clear by that. In the process, the sort of like the the like the paramedic team and the whole crew I don't know what they're called I really don't know the name of this job but the like film crew right that the forensic crew the justice of the peace crew that has to come in and like do this really specific protocol like they're just doing their job right and they've already done it maybe another time on that day and they've certainly done it more times that week And so there's a certain clinical approach that's required to do their J-O-B. And the only thing that I could think of was like, oh God, Gav and I were planted here. We were meant to be here in this moment so that we could hold a kind of frequency of ceremony. And not even like, the physical trappings of ceremony. I did certainly like rustle around in the lobby for some candles. I was like, we have to have some candles, people. But it's such a powerful moment when a soul is instructed or feels compelled to leave their body. It's so huge it's so huge and I oh man to be there to have been allowed to bear witness to that was so incredible and to be allowed to uh what's weird that the words that are coming to me is like hold the door open for her I don't necessarily think that's what we did, but um, first of all, just like what a beautiful way to go. Am I right? Like in a hot tub, that's so pimp. Like what a fucking G. Like I'm gonna get in my hot tub, turn my little music on on my phone, a million jillion stars out in West Texas. Uh country roads take me home am I right so beautiful so beautiful but then a buddy of mine was who is versed in in things of this nature was like the amount of energy that's required for a soul to leave their body it's kind of like an explosion in in some ways you could think of it as like an energetic explosion or like atoms being split apart and that a spirit needs a kind of rocket fuel in order to make the leap, make the jump. And we were kind of like in a moment when I really needed a a good laugh and a kind of this particular kind of kiki support. My friend was like, you know, 
maybe you popping off about the aliens and just getting so hype and so like giddy and joyful and silly goose, silly goose about it could, could have been like borrowed rocket fuel for that moment of departure. And it also makes me think about a beloved poet of our time. I'm sure you are obsessed with them as much as I am, but Andrea Gibson, um, I can't remember. It was maybe a podcast episode where I heard them. Oh yeah, it was on a uh, Glennon Doyle's podcast. An amazing interview. Um, but Andrea talks about how like the relief in their belief that they believe that there is this relief available to us in that um we don't actually die with our gifts inside of us. And maybe some of you have heard me talk about this certainly being one of my biggest fears of like coming up to the edge of death and being like, oh man, I can totally hear Gavin in the next room blaring some music. Hold on, please. Oy vey, podcasting in a tiny house when you live with someone else. Anyways, what in the what were we talking about? Um, yeah, Andrea. Andrea's all like, we don't die, maybe. It's their hypothesis. What if we don't die with our gifts inside of us, but that the moment we leave, it's like this explosion out. And that we cast off energetically all of the uh, the unwritten manuscripts, the unrecorded podcast episodes, the Broadway shows, the TV pilots, all of this creative stuff, the, the desires that went unfulfilled in our living days, that they just like eject out of us like this confetti cannon. I don't know if they say that, but that's certainly how I see it. And it's bestowed out into the world. It gets sprinkled out into the world like seeds on the wind for other people to pick up. And that, so you actually can't take it with you and it won't die unexpressed. And so like two days after this happened, you know, we were in Marfa, was it two days? No, yeah, two days after this happened, we continued on our journey and we ended up in Joshua Tree for the 4th of July. And we're staying in this beautiful Airbnb again in the desert. Wow, the magic of the desert is just so immense. Um, but it's 4th of July and I happen to love fireworks, but they're so disturbing to my physicality and to my nervous system. But I had this amazing experience of looking out across the night sky, super jet black, inky black sky, and the fireworks start popping off at like nine o'clock and it's silent. There is no sound. It is just the vacuum void of the desert and the immensity 
the feeling of the immensity and the vastness of the desert and these just electric fluorescent blossomings in the sky with barely a sound because of them being off in the distance. And I was thinking about what it is like to be physically proximate to the moment of death and the moment when a spirit leaves their body. And I was just so moved by the visual poetry of the silent fireworks and that like, wow, is it possible that we who were present for that, we who bared witness to that moment could have been oh my God, could we have been so lucky to be the recipients of the unexpressed gifts, the unexpressed material, inner material of this woman's life and that we didn't actually experience this scary, horrific tragedy awful thing it would be so easy to name it as that we're kind of acculturated to naming um moments of crisis and certainly moments of death and dying as this like horrific thing but i was like did i just like win the lottery of because of my proximity that i could be be some sort of like absorbent witness that like not only gets to help usher the 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 trajectory and the the launch I get to help fan the flames of the launch and also could like receive the afterglow receive the the benefits of what gets cast off what, um, yeah, thank you. Perhaps for bagging what I'm mowing. Um, and now I see her name everywhere. I see her first name, I see it all the time. And um, I don't necessarily feel like she's with me or um, anything like that, maybe inconclusive, but. Um, I feel a a kind of, there was something destined about our paths crossing for that brief collision and that brief moment of, um, impact and launch. (sighs) So yeah, I, uh, I, I think I'm sharing all of this with you as my way of contributing to what feels like a pretty lonely library of stories and evidence of death being such a holy experience, such a a magic, freaky, psychedelic trip. I mean, like, mushrooms are cool, but, like, have you ever lost someone that you love? Because <laughs> that shit gets really bonkers.
Hmm. Wow. For those of you who are still with me in this moment, uh, you are a certain kind of very cool freak and I love you for that. And, um, yeah, I feel the impulse to try to like wrap this up with a neat little bow. Um, so maybe instead I'll do something more practical and tell you about, uh, tell you about a fun offering I have coming up, um, which hopefully doesn't cheapen this moment. I'm asking that of myself, but I'm gonna tell you about it anyway. Um, so coming up, I don't actually know the dates in this moment, but maybe by the time I post this, I will, and I will write it in the little show noties. Um, but I lead a workshop called Grief Threads that is a small, very intimate cohort of humans who have experienced acute loss, who are interested in entering the doorway of grief processing creatively and through the magic of textiles, through the magic of the potent, sentimental, important textiles that perhaps are related to a grief event, right? So like the the dish towel that your grandmother always used to dry her hands and it was always hanging on the stove when you would come to her house. Um, the dress that your mother wore on her first date to meet your father. The bed sheets you were conceived in, perhaps. Uh, I don't know. It's, uh, it's really amazing when you start pulling at the <laughs> thread of textile magic um how many layers of meaning can really get up in there so anyways this is a uh a weekly gathering on the internet for a group of brave gorgeous humans who really want to be steeped in ritual and steeped in ceremony and want to play with what happens when we use our materials and the scraps of our lives to to really dive in, dive into the wreck and dive into um, that which has felt perhaps too difficult to address by just talking about it. Um, or maybe not, you know, I've had people in, in co- Cohorts who have done all kinds of grief experiences and love to dive into their grief, um, but haven't had the opportunity to like make something creative with their hands. And so we learn a series of improvisational patchwork uh, techniques that I have been blessed to have learned through Christy Johnson and Marley Grace and a couple of other quilters in my world. Um, and then we, we play with, uh, several projects that you could make with your materials, but the fundamental, uh, invitation is that you cut up and rip up the materials that you bring. And in that act of cutting up and ripping up, um, it's a a kind of, um, invocation and, uh, what's the word we uh oh my gosh what is this word 
we recreate the experience of the rupture, the original rupture, and that by doing it with our hands and doing it tangibly with our materials, it's kind of, it's a kind of um, empowerment and renegotiation of the original rupture. And then we get to play with how we want to put them back together and how we want to mend and stitch slowly in community with each other. Anyways, it is so freaking beautiful. It really is. Um, I've met the most gorgeous, interesting humans through um, this, this container and I feel so blessed and so lucky. Again, like the gifts of death, the gifts of loss, the gifts tucked inside the strangeness of grief um, really can't be overstated. So anyways, there'll be more information about that below. Um, but this is where I leave you and happy spooky season. May there be some interesting invitations for you to consider your own relationship with death and dying and loss, decay, um, and watching life shapeshift into not life which is really just such an important uh, thing that goes down this season in the Northern Hemisphere. All right, beloveds, I love you so much. Thank you for receiving this big, big story of mine. And um, yeah, talk soon. Bye. All right, sing me your song. Witch, swear, witch, swear.